0: And welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am one of your hosts, Tom Donnelly, and today I am joined by the professor, Eric Elder, calling in from the city of brotherly love. How you doing, Eric? Oh, doing great, Tom. How are you? Good to be back. I am doing well. As you probably know, I am from New Jersey originally, so across the river and up the turnpike just a little ways. Uh... Mm-hmm. Did not did not find the city to be a city of brotherly love, particularly <laughs> uh, back when I was uh, back when I was growing up. How is, how is Philly treating you? Uh, it's treating me well. I, I mean,
1: it's again, with the current circumstances, it's it's uh, pretty similar in terms of mm. mostly staying inside, uh, except to go grocery shopping um, and get some exercise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, my mom's place is, is much uh, bigger and, and nicer, I might say, than our small apartment was in Santa Monica. So that's nice. Mm. Um, the cat's loving it. He's he can <laughs> completely spread out now. He's all over the place. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been good. It's 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 it's, it's so funny because it was like. You know, never say never until the global pandemic. Right. Right. I I said I would never move back to Philadelphia. And again, I don't I don't know if this is going to wind up being permanent or not at this point. But um, but I'm back in it. And it you know, it's it's cool. It's you know, it's interesting how perspective changes.
0: Now you you said that you were never going to come back to Philly because you had priors. Have you dealt with those Have the? Have the, have the, have <laughs> the... Yeah, I got all that stuff cleared. up. Oh, good. Up. That's that's great. So, yeah, that's they're great. not looking for me anymore. And <laughs> say what you say what you want, but statute limitations—that's a really good law. I'm glad it's, they put great. that into the system. Yeah, it's been ten years. So Actually, <laughs> it's been twenty years. So you know, no. it's all good now. Have you had a cheesesteak yet?
1: Absolutely, you know that's got to happen. My, <laughs> mom, my mom rolled rolled in yesterday. She's been going to the, the gym with her friend, and and uh, she actually she actually got a, a steak from my favorite cheesesteak place, which is Paganos, um, and West Oak yeah at the very top of Ogon's Avenue, right okay. off the three hundred nine.
0: I I've only so, I only know the the two places that are on the same street corner. Uh, mm. One across from the other. I can't remember what the name of those two are, but I've had a cheesesteak from each. Could not tell yeah. the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and those probably those are like you
1: know if it's like Gino's and those yes. places. There's yes. some places downtown that are kind of like the touristy like places that people go to. They're yeah. not like the like Pagano's is like that real like hood cheesesteak place that's been there for I don't know. Probably 30, 40, 50 years, maybe. I don't know how long you've been there for. Ever since I was a kid, for sure. Um, but they're fantastic.
0: And, and you're a with Wiz person, yes? Um,
1: Actually, I don't. No. I, I, get, I get, yeah, I, I like extra American cheese. I, again, that's one of those, like, you know, again, I hate to be like a, a cheesesteak snob here, but. Do it. Do it. And, and, and I, and I, and, and don't get me wrong I've had cheesesteak with cheese whiz on it and it's pretty pretty decent but it's definitely not I, I, I associate that with more of the uh, you know again the, the touristy you know the big big can of, of cheese whiz that's sitting there on the grill and they slather it on there you, you want to you know, say
0: you want to say Jersey white trash you can say Jersey White trash it's okay yeah, it's not gonna hurt my I, I feelings too much it's okay I
1: don't want, want to go there Tom but you know <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is round eight, turn ten. This is the final round of round eight, and we're going to be talking about the 2012 release, New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because the tabletop simulator mod for New Amsterdam is brand new, and it was designed by the professor himself. Mm -hmm. This was a game that was on your top 20 uh games of all time and you were like let's do it and I was like okay absolutely because I had never played it never yeah. played it until just now and uh a very interesting game looking forward to get into that and we're also going to talk about storytelling and how the new mediums of Twitch and tabletop simulator how gaming and storytelling are starting to evolve, and how they can evolve in this new media landscape, which is as you could tell, not a topic I would come up with, but the perfect topic for the professor. Shall we get into uh this week's game night? Yeah, let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> Well, since, since we don't really have a game night anymore in the current state, what have you been playing recently, Elder? Um, mostly I've been
1: playing a lot of Tekenu. Like again, you you know yeah. my my other um, you know kind of hashtag non de is the binge gamer, right? Because yeah. I I like to dive deep into a game if I like it, and Tekenu is definitely a game I like. And um, you know, there's there's I've I've gotten a couple new friends to play with on tabletop simulator um which is nice Nice. um and it just keeps popping up like these opportunities to play to cano i think i played about five or six games this week
0: i think that game's got legs i really do think it's got legs it's it's, yeah it's it's it's, there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in there there's a lot of different ways you can go and and uh yeah I'm, i'm really impressed by that
1: yeah yeah so that's uh, you know i'm kind of feeling like it's a bit of a problem now my like like (laughs) like, i dare call it a Takanu addiction (laughs) it's insane (laughs) but um but yeah i've been playing a lot of that i played uh bonfire the new stephen feld game how are you liking that i like it i like it i again i was off of feld he was my favorite um for a, a good chunk of time there and then um uh, Lacerda kind of took his place. And then recently, I think it's been the, the mad Italian crew, Yeah, but, um, I, I kind of feel like he's back. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him back as my favorite off this one title, but I feel like this is, you know, I've been pretty disappointed with the last couple. And, um, actually there was a, there was one that I've missed, um, tra- tra- Trajan, Trajan for, uh, uh, Ramonum. Forum, yeah. Forum Romanum. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had missed that one, and I played it with Ben. I heard you guys mention it on on the pod I've a couple of weeks ago. I think quite good things about it. It is. I love that game. I I, I want to play it more. Um, uh, you know, I played it with with Ben. I think two player. Then I played it with Ben and Paul, um, and that was like a really like great game. Um, mm. Paul Paul was killing it. Um, there's, there's something about like there's this – and it kind of reminds me of Tekeno in a way that there's this kind of tricky scoring formula where there's like all these different, you know, kind of categories that you have to – it's very difficult to kind of score or tick up in these different categories. And then it's like this multiplic- multiplication of these different items that you have. So it's very kind of tricky kind of scoring, but um, mm. it feels like it's worthwhile to get in there and really figure – that formula out and um, that is and, and play the game. It's a fun puzzle for
0: me. I think. Forum Trajanum from twenty eighteen yeah. and yeah, it, it sounds it sounds really cool, really interesting. Um, yeah. Reminds me the scoring mechanism in it reminds me a little bit of Hansa Titanica, where yeah. you are. Unlocking multipliers for things that you may or may not already have on the board, and and managing those sorts of things, and managing the things that you've acquired over the course of the game is a big part of the game, which is very interesting.
1: All right.
0: Yep. And of course, you played New Amsterdam. Of course, of
1: course. Getting got ready it, for them. Played a couple games of that, so that was great to get back on the table. And um, you know, I haven't um, done any more work to the mod. I think once I got it playable. Um, you know, I, I haven't been, and I've been so busy lately too. Um, of course, you know, moving across the country and, and all the work and everything, consulting. Um, but I, I am still interested in kind of polishing at some point, polishing the mod off and, and, uh, and then making it actually public so everybody can play it.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. I mean, listen, I think it's really, uh, you know, we'll talk about it more in the review, but sure. I thought it was tremendously playable, really good-looking. I mean, the only thing is when I zoomed in, I wanted a I wanted a, a more high-def uh, board. But yeah. other than that, I thought it was really great. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I was you. Like, appreciate it. I, I would never have known that it was... Uh, you know essentially homemade by you I had never had yeah. any idea about that it was a really real professional job and well done um yeah I played New amsterdam this week um i tr- tried once again playing antiquity on the uh online implementation that mm. is just uh, it's so it's so close to being able to play antiquity in that setting but you can mm. can't quite do it but we got half a game in that was good and okay. uh and high society with the family brought that out and uh mm. Gosh, I love that. I love high society. It is such. Mm. It's probably my favorite filler of all time. You know, it's mm. it's that you have a you know, it's it's sort of a classic Reiner Knizia. I've got a hand of money cards, and we're bidding on these uh, items that are that are coming up. And the two tricks of the game is you can't make change. So when t- when you spend cards, they're out of your hand, and so suddenly. Uh, somebody bid 12, and I only have a 20 in my hand. So if I want to up the bid, i got to go all the way up to 20. And then the second thing is that the person with the most points from the things they acquired wins the game unless they are the person who has the least amount of money left in their hand at the end of the game, in which case they automatically lose, which is uh, Mm. just such a... You know, I thinking a little bit like forum Trajanum that you were talking about, it's one little rule... Can really just change the shape and the feel of the whole game, and uh, that's mm-hmm. one of those things for sure. So that was that was my rel- relatively light week in in gaming. But looking forward to my God. I wish they would fix antiquity on that uh, on board game core. If they have you have you tried it on TTS? Um, no, I haven't tried it on TTS. Is it scripted? Mm, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't tried it cuz um, I, I do know it exists, I think. It, I'm pretty sure it does. It does, yeah. It, it's just it's <coughs> one of the fiddliest games in the world, right? There's right. so many little pieces that you have to put out and stuff like that. And I would just, yeah. it, my, my eyes would bleed really, trying to do that on a on a board. And the fact that Board Game Core had it uh, had it automated uh, right. was just so attractive. And then you find out, oh, no, this really is not really playable. So mm. what can you do? Yeah. Uh, let's move on. To the sure. news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Mrs. North of South America. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. The news. <laughs> Elder, it's an interesting time, right? I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is the time in the year <clears> when <throat> normally everybody would be going to Essen, right? Yep. And the biggest uh, board gaming trade show in the world would be opening its doors and uh, people would be partying down and having their currywursts. And, uh, you know, when Maddie and, and uh, Trey and I went uh, back in 2018, we had such a blast. It was a really, really wonderful time. And just being able to picture what it what it is and that the place and the people and all that sort of stuff is amazing. But this year, no Essen. It's yeah. not happening, it doesn't exist. But at the same time, all of these games that have been in pipelines for a long, long time are still premiering, coming out around Essen time. So there's all these little games we got that I'm like, "Wow, I never heard of that." That doesn't really happen too often anymore, right? We, you, we get we get posts by you know we get. Uh, twitter posts by designers we get uh, kickstarter notifications we get you know gone <coughs> uh, you know gone cardboard does you know throws little little previews but at this one time because there's so many games coming out you, we find out about games that we you know didn't really know about one yeah. of them is uh, machina arcana it's the second edition of it uh, 2019 didn't uh didn't know much about Machina Arcana hadn't heard about it not exactly my type of game but Cthulhu Mythos is always a really interesting thing um this is in this game it's a dungeon call in the Cthulhu Mythos right you're exploring and investigating a subterranean complex of unknown origin facing Cthulhu Mythos monsters in a steampunk setting and it looks it looks gorgeous it uh what, one of the things i like about it is it doesn't have miniatures. It's got standees instead of miniatures and I don't know I I think I think something in my brain is broke about miniatures. I think I see, <laughs> I think I see them and and it does the opposite of what it's supposed to do for me. Mm. Um but the, yeah, but the components look uh, you know the components look nice and if you're looking for a dungeon crawl, we actually have a few that we're talking about today, but this is this is definitely one of them and and you know, if I'm going to do a dungeon call, I would much rather do Cthulhu for some reason. And I, I get once again, I have a fantasy bias, anti fantasy bias, I guess. I, I guess <laughs> is what it goes. <laughs> you down. do, I, I do, I do. You know, I'll play Mansions of Madness anytime you want to, but uh, right. you know, Ugh, what can you do? Um, so that is Machina Arcana, uh, second edition. <laughs> Next up is Ten Suns. This is one of those games, when I look at this, I'm like, wow. This is when I wish that Essen existed and I wish I was there. Yeah. Uh, Right? This is the award winner in the Global Design Competition World Original Design Contest 2019. Just listen to this description. In the beginning, there were only you and the other ancient primordials. Then the dawning of the gods arrived and more celestial beings came into existence. It was then that the jade emperor of the heavenly realm produced 10 rebellious children who turned themselves into scorching suns in a bid to end the world. This was a good thing for you drew solar power from the 10 suns, making you invincible. Alas, the mortal hero who ye appeared and began to shoot the suns down one by one with his golden bow. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous, (laughs) gorgeous story yeah in which it, it's this is a blind bidding game, which is is potentially an issue for a lot of people but we'll we'll get into that in a second. The idea is that you are a god that is drawing your're a primordial essence that is drawing power from these suns, but over the course of the game, the suns are going to be dying out, so what you're actually trying to do is you're trying to use that energy that you have to bid on things that are going to give you energy independent of the Sun right you're trying to build an engine that is going to be able to survive when the primary engine of the game uh, sputters and dies which yeah. I don't know that's interesting right yeah can yeah. you think of a can you think of a game that that uh, that has that design where at the no. beginning of the game the the engine is already in place but the engine is is slowly dying and you're gonna have to to replace its systems mm-hmm no, I've never heard of that. I I really I really like the idea of that. Um, there was a um, there's there are these um, what's the, what's it called uh, game chef competition where uh, uh, role playing indie role playing designers are designing you know design role playing games f- over a very short period of time for uh, this game chef and you're given the ingredients so it's like Iron Chef um, and at one point I was designing a game that was did you ever see the movie the old uh, black and white movie doa Mm. i'm not sure it sounds familiar it's a it's a it's a cool it's a cool um noir movie in which the opening the hero is finds out that he's poisoned and he's got 24 hours to live right he's gonna be dead Mm -hmm. in 24 hours and so what he's doing is he's solving his own murder, right? which is cool, right? That's yeah. good. That's a good, yep. that's a good twist. Yep. Um, so in almost all role-playing games, you start off with a level one character, and you're building up, right? And you're getting more and more powerful over the course of the game. So I was designing a game that did the opposite, where you start off as powerful as you're ever going to be, and over the course of the game, you're losing dice. You're, mm. you're getting less and less and less. And I think that that is legitimate you know i don't think you know obviously it's a you you play it once and you, and you played it you can play it play it again but it's not like it's continuing characters because yes. you're gonna die at the end but the tension of having less and less resources to do the things you desperately need to do i think is uh, you know i think it's unexplored territory and it, it looks like uh ten sons is kind of doing that though it is blind bidding uh which, which is a problem. I mean, Aladdin's Dragons is a, a great old game that uh, that used blind bidding. Uh, strangely enough, Mocker has a blind bidding aspect in it. Uh, for those that mm-hmm. don't know what blind bidding is, blind bidding is when uh, they all, it's also called in the fist, which means you put your, you put the pieces that you want to bid with in your fist uh everybody reveals at the same time so i don't say i'm bid 1 you bid you say you bid 2 elder says he bids 4 it's not like that it's literally you are committing your entire bid without having any idea what anyone else is bidding <coughs> it is it is training wheels off it is a very very hard uh bidding scheme to win it is highly intensely psychological and it could also be very very swingy so for for a lot of people uh, at least back in the in the days when when bidding was a major component of a lot of games, uh, that was a that was a deal breaker for them. How do you feel about blind bidding, Elder? Are you uh, agnostic or do you have an opinion?
1: I like it. I think it's I think it's fun to play. I think it's exciting, um, and just in terms of, you know, just kind of touching on a little bit what I want to talk about later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's great. Um, in in this kind of world of spectator games, yeah, um, I think it's, it could be very entertaining, you know um, to watch you know a, a game that, that incorporates that.
0: Yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well you know thinking of uh, watching poker on television uh, in blind bidding, we can't see your whole cards, right. We don't know what you have and, and there's there's a, a lot of tension in that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm looking at the the geek page for this game, mm-hmm. and it actually says it's one of the mechanisms, betting and bluffing, which I don't know if that's that's really accurate, but definitely you get that that kind of sensation from the way the game is is designed. It sounds like.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know I don't know much about it at all, but gosh, it sounds really really interesting to me. So. Yeah. I hope to check that out sometime soon. Uh, Next up, we have kind of a war game. We have uh, Shaolia Warring States. Um, It is designed by Hani Chang and Gunho Kim. And in this game, it is is either two versus two or four versus four. Uh, So a very, very head-to-head game, uh, which is kind of, I think it's best described as euro mechanisms for a war game yeah. you are building you're you're buying buildings you're allocating resources and at the end of the game you are either going to win by dealing 12 damage to your opponent's palace or achieving a culture score of 18 which is interesting because it's not because it's like when you say those two things Deal twelve damage to the to the opponent's palace, or achieve a culture score of eighteen. That is literally there is a war game victory condition, and there is a euro game victory condition in this, which is interesting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of cool. I could see that if it works, if it works well, it could be one of those things where. Uh, you're you're threatening to deal the twelfth point of damage to the opponent's palace. They're doing everything they can to defend themselves, and as they're doing what they can to defend themselves, that gives you uh, free reign to up your culture score and you know kind of attack on both fronts. It's, inter- it's, it's an interesting game. Uh, the early reviews have been solid. The early reviews have said that this is a uh, th- this is a game that might be uh, might be a, a, have a really good. Sp- uh, space for people that are into player versus player one versus one meaty games that have a little bit of a euro bent to them so check it out
1: yeah I, I I wonder about you know this type of game where you know when you have these two kind of like you know diverging types of gameplay yeah um will it will it kind of work for either player like will it work for you know, the war gamer who's yeah. not really into Euros or, or vice versa, and I, I guess it just depends on how it, it uh, it's handled in the game, but it definitely is, is pretty graphically. Um, the art design on this is great, and it was on my radar too, so I, I would, you know, this is definitely one of those games I would be interested in trying out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you are if you are if you have both feet firmly in one camp and one camp only, maybe this game isn't isn't going to be for you. Like, if people are like, "Well, you know what? I don't really like player versus player." Yeah, then this game won't be for you. Um, but I think there's I think there's a lot of Euro gamers that that don't mind that, and that yeah. would even enjoy that if you know if it was presented in the right way. And this might very well be the right way. And I think war gamers, you know, I think a lot of them you know are not turned off by euro mechanics as long as the head to head battle of wits who can outlast the other uh, you know goodness is still in the dna of the game so we'll, we'll see i i agree with you that when you try to serve two masters sometimes you serve none but uh, yeah, yeah but, but we will see uh, and next up is Dungeon Universalis. Uh, came out in 2019, supposedly, but nobody—I uh, don't think—has it yet. And this is a uh, dungeon crawler board game for one to six players. We talked about HeroQuest two weeks ago. This mm. basically is better HeroQuest. Okay. Um, the there is a so the problem with HeroQuest is that it's basically Dungeons and Dragons as a board game in the sense that you have one person that's the dungeon master and they're Mm -hmm. not really playing the game to to a certain extent Uh, this one they change it up they have somebody called the dark player and the dark player is Mm. one or more players who compete against the other players so kind of the dungeon master but you're still playing the game which is a good addition which is you know a, a a good shift uh, if you think about uh, games like Pandemic, if you think about games like uh, Battlestar Galactica, the you are all playing against the board itself and the game itself. There's an automated sequence in which the game is playing against you. Well, this just turns it from an automated thing into a uh, decision space for uh, for a player that's playing against you. I think that's great. I think it should should do more of that. So yeah. if that's if uh, HeroQuest. Uh, lit up your ears two weeks ago. Then definitely check out Dungeon Universalis. Um, let's let's move past the next one and go to Clank. Clank has uh, was a a big hit a few years back. A really fun deck builder. Um, it, it wasn't too dead. wasn't too deadly serious. wasn't too heavy. was a lot of fun and uh, but had a lot to it. You could do a lot with it. Um, there was an expansion for it called Acquisitions Incorporated, and now there is an expansion called Adventuring Party. This is a five- and six-player expansion that is going to let you play more people in Clank. Clank is one of those games that did feel to me like you could play this with more people. This is, it's you know, it is a managing chaos kind of game to a large extent, so those games sometimes work really well with higher player counts. Uh, in this one, you could play the, the new characters are uh, the dwarf agent, uh, and an elf, an orc, a mage, a monkey bot, <laughs> and <laughs> the devious cat named Whiskers. So <laughs> if you don't know what Clank is, that description probably gives you a pretty good idea of, uh, the, of what that is. Um, all of the six players have six new asymmetrical starting decks, uh, with their thieving identities, because asymmetry is is part of the game. When you when you choose a role, uh, you do have you do play a significantly different game than everybody else. Did you ever play Clank, Elder? Yeah, I did play it a few times. What would you think? Um,
1: it, not really my kind of game. I'm not. I, I haven't. I haven't met a deck builder I really liked yet. Um, I, I think it's an interesting uh, mechanism. And I, it's like, I almost feel like I want to, you know, take a shot at designing one Mm -hmm. that that's more, you know, I guess, I guess I want like a more Eurocentric resource. Ah, there's an idea, right? Like resource management and deck building, right? Like really like kind of heavy resource management game with lots of resources at least 20 right
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's that's your over under for you know if if it's over 20 then it gets an automatic seal of approval for you uh you could totally do that right i mean that's not that's not a hard thing to do yeah yeah you know the i mean building building a deck in which the the deck are cards (coughs) that are that are resource generators or resource converters is Mm -hmm. Yeah, why haven't we seen that, Elder? Why haven't you know? Be the change you want to see in the world, Elder. That's what I say to you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I,
1: my my thing with deck builders is I, I guess I have a, a hard time with the, um, with the culling part.
0: Um, uh, you know, we uh, in the several, sense of in the sense of the strategy of it, or both, both like the the, the yeah. Well, it's the strategy in terms
1: of like you know when do you do it like when yeah. like is it like do you do it immediately um do you do do you call your deck in um and in, and in, instead of doing something else instead of i guess building yeah Um, I can I can I just have a really hard time figuring that part out and it's not fun for me. Mm. Um, You know, several game brainers have been, uh, you know, we're playing Fort, I guess, several weeks ago or a month or so ago. And that's definitely a deck builder. And and I tried and I I think I had some level of fun with the game, but it's that same thing issue that I have. So.
0: Um, well, Ford Fort has, yeah, yeah uh, you know, as you can hear in the review, we like Ford, but but it, it does have some issues that might prevent it from being absolutely loved. I, I know what you mean, though. My favorite deck builders are ones in which culling is one way to go, but not the only way to go. Mm-hmm. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean that the the cost of actions and turns and and so on and so forth, in order to do that culling it's a race it's like am i going to slim down the perfect deck before the person that isn't slimming at all gets his unwieldy but sometimes you know sometimes hugely successful deck and sometimes completely unsuccessful deck which one of us is going to race to the victory condition and 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 win the game that way those are those are my favorite ones yeah. But yeah, and, and, and timing is definitely an issue, right? When do you when do you start calling? Are you doing too early, too late, all that sort of stuff? That's one of the things I like about uh, uh, deck builders. Actually, it's one of my favorite aspects of that. I hear a dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, two last things. First is uh, Thames and Cosmos uh, are the makers of the Crew, and guess what? They have a print and play. Oh, hello. Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so I was saying Thames and Cosmos, uh, they're the makers of The Crew, a game we very much like here at game Brain. Um And they have pre- prepared a new five-card print-and-play uh, edition, the Demios Adventures, one through five, uh, and you can get them at thamesandcosmos.com. Uh, each one has three adventures on it, so that's 15 new adventures uh you know 15 new you know when you're playing the crew they give you different rules and different uh boundaries within which the, the 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 game the crew is played and uh so having 15 new ones could be right up your alley if you like the crew definitely check that out it's free to uh to print and play and last but not least maddie are you listening maddie are your ears tingling? lorenzo il magnifico has been announced it is coming to steam on october 5th we will not hear from maddie again so october 5th if you want to talk to maddie make sure you get to him by october 4th because oh my goodness a steam uh a steam implementation of lorenzo il magnifico is going to be huge for him mm. Mm. i want does that is, do you know
1: if that's going to come with the expansion
0: um, that's a good question. I don't think it is coming with the expansion, but mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at the notice, and it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't say that it is. Okay. Doesn't say it's not either, but it just doesn't say that it. It doesn't say that it is. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Shall we move on to games sure. on the brain? <laughs> What's on your
1: brain, Elder? Uh, well, definitely Takano, because yeah. uh, I've been playing a lot of that and <laughs> trying to, to figure out that game. Um, you know, again, from the early conversations, you know, I, I heard this first from Jennifer, this concern about um, whether the decree cards, the in-game scoring cards are balanced, which I don't think that they are. Right. Um, I think they're very imbalanced and they're very hard to get in the game. But as I continue to play, I kind of feel like you know we, we've uh, and I know uh, Trey is 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 big on this, right? Just the whole. I mean, it's a dice drafting game, and the dice do matter in this game, even though you can't adjust them. Yes, they do. Um, but there is there is a degree of luck in the game, and it's very tight. And I think. Normally, we don't like games that take this long to play and are this strategic. We mm-hmm. don't like to have luck, but somehow I feel like it really works for this game. Like I, like I feel like there is this kind of gambling uh, aspect, like this idea of, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw these two in-game scoring cards where I know the bulk of my points are going to be from these cards at the end of the game, and they're so deterministic. And it's like you know this is going to pretty much set the course for my whole game, and which direction do I want to game want to want to play? What type of game do I want? Um, and you can't even see the other the other potential scoring cards until somebody's population goes up to a certain. So it's going to be a couple rounds into the game before you can even see that. Um, but yeah, the more I play it, I, I it's just I I like that that the, the the way luck is implemented in the design is really interesting.
0: Well, there's there's no end-game scoring cards revealed at the beginning of the game, right? I mean, we have to get our population up to a certain point before those mid-level cards even come out, correct? Right right, exactly. exactly. So, so that's so yeah so for me, I'm, I look at that and I'm like, well, okay, I, I think that you're you've given an uh, you're given enough time in the beginning of the game. To get your feet wet, to start to put together an engine to figure out, you know, which direction you're going in general. And then when those cards come out, either they're fitting into what you've started to do or they don't. I mean, balance is always... With endgame scoring, balance is always an issue. Um, Some of my favorite games, like Shipyard... Got crushed, just crushed, because a bunch of early reviewers said these, you know, these point cards that that everybody starts with, you know, four of them, and you're going to keep two of them. They're they're imbalanced. They are they are imbalanced, and some of them are overpowered. Um, I love Shipyard. I think Shipyard is an amazing game. I would play it any time anybody wanted to play Shipyard. I would play it, um, but because of because of that perception. Uh, it just doesn't. It just d- didn't hit the table for a lot of people. So you know, we we've house ruled one or two of the cards, and boom, it's a, it's an amazing game. But yeah, that 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 perception can really throw you. Yeah. yeah. Um. For me, what is on my brain right now? i um, playing New Amsterdam. I've been thinking a lot about auction games, and mm. uh, that's that's kind of what's on my brain. And more to the point, what's on my brain is how how far we have fallen how hmm. few games have auctions in them in any in any real sense right yeah like so few right back in the day every almost everything had auctions right uh one agricola felt kind of brand new because it was one of the few games that didn't have any auctions in it it was uh, like what no auctions but Nowadays, if I'm looking at the games that that we really liked from the last ten years, the number of games uh, that have auctions in them are so few. Right, uh, Keyflower in 2012 basically is one big auction game. Right, it's hidden because you're you're placing your meeples out and you're bidding with them uh, on an actual board. Uh, but that's the that's one of the only. Uh, auction mechanisms that uh, that exists recently it's really something that's gone out and when i look at the older games that have auctions when i look at the age of steams of the world the uh, you know the, the the power grids the you know, Ra and uh, Princes of Florence and, uh, you know, and Splatter. Splatter does still do auctions to a, uh, to a large extent, right? You know, Indonesia has a big auction mechanism in there and an interesting one. Zim- great Zimbabwe does. Um, but we've, we, you know, uh, Taj Mahal has a great auction system, sort of. Uh, I, I love auctions. I think that, first of all, Auctions are a balancing mechanism that you can take um, four different metrics, have them be differently weighted in terms of this one is way more powerful than the other three, and you can have a game that incorporates that. It's not a problem at all if the game has an auction in it because the auction is self-balancing. Smart players, once they play the game, even just a few, just a few short times, have figured out that, oh, okay – this one is better than the others, so we're going to bid it up. And the decision as to how high to bid it, and the competition for finding that right price point where you're not spending too many resources to get this advantage—you know, properly weighing things—that's that's fun for me. That's a fun space. That's a really really interesting space to be operating in. Um, I, I think Princess of Florence is probably the the the, the biggest of those where everything is auctioned every round of the game and uh, people find out after their first play that you know and I, I always say when i teach the game i say okay so these are gestures gestures give you plus two to the value of anything in your palazzo and everyone's like oh okay whatever like no 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 pay attention this <laughs> is this is the best thing in the game okay if you were if you pass on this and the bidding isn't at least 700 lira you're you're making a mistake you've got to bid these up! Don't let anybody get these too cheap, you know. And then everything else is situational in the game, but this is the one you know. You pay more for the, the gestures because the gestures are always there for you. And thick and in thin, they don't care if you're if you're you know a, a philosopher or an astronomer. They're gonna they're, they're gonna they're gonna cheer you up and make your make your creations better. God, I love that game, Princess of Florence. Yeah. Princess of Florence. Yeah, it's,
1: it's such a classic, and I I remember. You know, this was, this was early, I think, in my, you know, uh, kind of introduction in, into Euro games the first couple years when Prince of Florence was out or when I was playing it. And I remember, you know, just the, you know, the cutthroat and the, the level of, of play in those games and the discussion the table discussion about how much the gesture was worth and you know how much it was worth each round mm-hmm. and you know it was just a, a fascinating level of meta to the game that, that really added a lot of enjoyment and you know that's another um, play pattern that like you know why, why haven't we seen another because um, Princess of Florence is fantastic but I, I definitely think with you know kind of throwing in some other, you know, more modern game design, uh, mechanisms, you know, we could see another, you know, version of that game, which, which would be really interesting. Um, totally. Another another game I've been playing that has auctions, you know, to your point Mm -hmm. is a container. Oh yeah. Uh, on TTS. And that is, is super fun, um, and very interactive and, um, You know, it's interesting in that game where the value of things in the auction actually changes because of the closed economy nature of the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think economic games still uh, sometimes will have auctions. That's still something that exists in that space because that's totally natural in that space. Um, what where it has disappeared is in the non economic uh, euro games. Euros, a lot yeah. of those non economic euros used to have auctions and feature auctions, and yeah, I think we've lost something. I think when we've mm-hmm. gone away from that, we've lost something. But going back to Princes of Florence, when you think about it, you, you're right. I think it could. I think there are some a lot of mechanisms that have come out after that. Like this is essentially before worker placement so uh, right. you know incorporating that would be really interesting but when you think about all the things it did have it had polyominoes you were bu- mm. you know you were building a, uh, a your y- the inside of your palazzo and you had to think spatially about how you're going to be able to fit these things in there it had it had a lot of the, the um you would get get these cards or draft these cards who are the great thinkers of the uh, of the time, and they had requirements. They wanted this guy wanted freedom of religion. This guy wanted a, a lake to to sit in front of, and so on and so forth. And they all had their own uh, peccadillos, and they are worth more if you cater to them. Is a great mechanic. Strangely, I don't think I've seen that mechanic too often. That the value of a that the value of the cards that you're going to be playing are, uh, are dependent on the other resources that or the other conditions that you've set up on your personal player board. Uh, you know, there, there are some games that have done things like that, but not too many, and I think that's a really great mechanic that we should be looking back at. So as much as I would like to update Princess of Florence with newer mechanics, I would also like to take the mechanics from Princess of Florence and uh, throw them into some stuff. I think we've thrown out some, uh, some babies with our bathwater.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, I think that's what I was suggesting really more of as as opposed to like a, a Princess of Florence too. just kind of take some of those core ideas and come up with a whole new game and, and add some more stuff to it. I think would be
0: really cool. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Elder, shall we get to it? Shall we get to the game review? Let's do it. Here we go. New Amsterdam is a 2012 release. The designer is Jeffrey D. Allers. The artist is Josh Capel. And the publisher, uh, the current publisher, is Pandasaurus Games. Elder, you're the one who dragged me into this. Tell me about New Amsterdam. Uh,
1: Yeah, so New Amsterdam... Um, is a I think my description actually it's well I mean one thing about bringing these these games back is kind of I get a new perspective on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely would describe this game now as a area control game that has some you know resource um, uh, resource management mechanisms in it, right Yeah, yep. so the the theme of the game is you are, Um, building the beginnings of of New York City. Um, And so the the, uh, area control is that you're building businesses basically in these different um, uh, areas, which there's, um, I think, what, maybe seven or eight um, on the board, Mm -hmm. Um, and each one of them is tied to a a specific bonus action that you can take. And then there's uh, three main action phases in the game Um, which are the city phase where you actually are building up these businesses, the land phase where you're essentially getting these land cards that are going to give you um, resources that you need. And then finally the trading phase um, where you can score some um, victory points in a, um, you know, kind of match match type game uh, set collection um, type mechanic mechanic.
0: Yes. And um, in the game you are going to be auctioning there's a there's a bidding for these tokens that are going to allow you to take those actions so on any given round you are probably not doing much of anything in in all of those rounds correct yes exactly exactly So the the essence of the game is that we are settlers. We are uh, Dutch settlers of New Amsterdam, which, as many of you know, became the city of New York. And uh, what we're we're patroons, I believe, is what we're called. And our job is to build up the city of uh, of New York by building up the land outside of the city of New York in order to. You know have enough agriculture to support the city and to trade with the uh, the the natives uh, and acquire the pelts that are tremendously valuable they're very very good hunters the 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 natives and we're going to trade them some some european goods for these pelts which are going to uh, profit us greatly in the uh, in the old world right yeah, exactly. And we start off
1: with a certain amount of these goods, and and as we send the pelts back, uh, then the the old world is going to send us a uh, supply of new goods to continue our training efforts. Um, but um, and here's you know one of the the reasons why this game sticks sticks out to me. Yeah. Um, there's this interesting mechanism where as you're trading. Um, uh, with the Indians and acquiring these land cards, you were essentially stealing land from, from these same Indians that you're trading with. And so there's a mechanism where um, they are forced to move further and further away from your initial trading posts. And so there's another bonus action you could take to continue to move your trading posts across the board to stay in line so you continue to trade. Um, but if you're not Uh, aligned um, with the Indians uh, and you don't have corn as a resource because you need corn um, to travel your boat downstream to meet up with them, um, then you cannot make the trade. And that could be pretty devastating if you have an action token and you you actually can't use it because um, of that that mechanism.
0: Uh, Listeners, are you uh, getting an uncomfortable feeling in your stomach when you heard that last little bit? Uh, <laughs> it, it has been a discussion that we have been having. It is, uh, yes, you are literally moving the natives off of their land as they move across the board, not only move them across the board, but, um, they are, the, their numbers dwindle over the course of the game. We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss, yeah, I, I have a, I got a problem with it, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 figure out uh let's let's figure that out in a minute but first let's 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 uh, there are two issues with the game there's the there's the game itself and then there is what the game is portraying and and uh should we be doing this and and if so how do we do this uh so let's get to that one second um the game has you know scoring is essentially three ways of scoring each one of the three phases has scoring opportunities in the city, um, once you've built buildings in the city, you are going to score two points if you have if you are tied if you are tied with the person that has the most buildings in this sector. And there are seven sectors in the in the city. Um, if you have more than everybody else, you're going to score three <coughs> points. So that could be a lot of points in the game. Uh, if you have built if you have uh, acquired land and cleared it. You are going to score points when you clear the land, and uh, but you're only going to score points if you have three land cards and you clear them all in one action. You're only scoring points for the last one you get, which is so the first land card scores one point, next one is three, next one's five, next one's ten, and so on and so forth. That kind of thing. Um, uh, that, that's one of the things you can do. And then the third way to score points is in the trading action. When you're trading, you are going to score points. Um, the, the ships that you're sending things out on can take anywhere from two to six trade goods. And when you trade them in, uh, the one that you have the most of in that set you're going to score three victory points per good of that type, two for the next most, and then one for everything else. So if I had five muskrat pelts and I have a ship that, that takes six goods, and so i trade five muskrats and one mink or something along those lines, uh, I would get three times five, which is 15, plus two more, which is 17 points for that. The trick, though, is that once you've built up your city... Once I've put buildings in the city, as long as, you know, as long as other people haven't overbuilt me completely, it's one single action for me to score points there. But in the other areas, I have to get a land card, which is one action, and then I have to clear that land card, which is a completely other action. And in the trading, it's the same thing. I have to acquire trade goods. Uh, I have to trade with the with, with the natives, and then I have to sell or ship those uh, those trade goods abroad, which creates an imbalance that we've noticed, right, Elder?
1: Yeah, yeah, and again that's that's why I call it you know this um, this area control game um, yeah. because it's in every game that, I, that I've played of of it, um, I have not seen a um, sh- solely land or fur strategy work. Um, although, I mean, if you look at the points in the game, um, it, it conceivably could, but it it really doesn't. And, and I, and I think thematically it makes sense of the game. Like this is, the game is telling you your, your job in the game is to be this kind of builder, kind of, you know, entrepreneur, builder of businesses and you're building up the city of New York and, and there's impacts of that. And, um, you know, again, to, to do that though you you have to have a certain amount of corn to feed your people which you know you can buy with with one of the bonus actions but it's definitely better to grow the corn than to have to buy it right economically oh yeah um and uh you know it 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 definitely there's there's going to be opportunities for you to trade, which is important in the game, and so you want to you want to get a certain amount of points from that. But you, I don't think a, a purely trading strategy is is going to work,
0: right? No, no. Um, uh, so let's take a, an example of a game. Our number one game in uh, in the board game in the Game Brain top fifty is mm-hmm. Great, Great Western Trail. Right. Great Western Trail has three. Also has three aspects to it. Right. It has the building actions where you're where you're building uh, things along the trail. It has the train actions where you're using the engineer to move your train uh, uh, along the map. Mm-hmm. And it has the cowboy action where you are uh, trading in cattle in Kansas City. Right. Yep. They are not balanced. Yeah. They are not balanced. The the cowboy action is slightly better than the others. So, in a very similar way, this has three actions, and they're also not balanced. I would say they're more imbalanced in this though yeah I think the yeah. the the uh yeah I, I think the imbalance is mm, slighter in in uh, Great Western Trail, whereas in this one it's more pronounced I think it's more structural in this one the The fact that you can score points on a single action instead of having to do multiple actions uh really tips the balance here. But that's why we have an auction mechanism. Or I'm not going to say it's why, but I'm saying the yeah. game works because there's an auction mechanism. Right. And as long as there's right. an auction mechanism, if you see a, uh, a a row that has two city actions, mm-hmm. those city actions are tremendously valuable. So you need to make people pay through the teeth for them. And by paying by paying... A ton of money for those. You're essentially creating the the. You're you're writing the structural imbalance. So you're correcting it.
1: Yeah, and, and again, just to, to be like, you know, very precise, right? Yes. It, it does take two actions to score the city, right? Because you have to to build businesses, and then you have to hold the election to score them, right? Like each each one of the phases has these two different actions. The yes. difference is. With scoring the city, if you're already in the lead, yeah. and again, to your point about the auctions, if you if you know that a player, and again, it happened in both the games that we played this week, there was a particular point in the game where in our first game it was Paul, and the second game it was you, where we noticed the game state, and it's like, oh man, this particular player has like really significantly taken the lead in the city, yep. and if we don't react, it's going to be problematic. They're probably going to win the game. If that's what's happening in the mid game, then we really have to, to put a stop to it. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about afterwards uh, and last night's game, there was a particular auction where, you know, you could argue um, that I basically let you get the double city tokens for for too cheap. But situationally, there was two things. Right. Like one is there was two double city tokens. Yeah. Uh, um, spaces that could be auctioned or plots that could be auctioned off and two it's i i couldn't really afford to do double city at that point in the game yes. because of what had happened sooner so it really didn't make sense for me to do it but at that point i got to make a choice like do i you know take it away from you to try to stop you from winning the game can i can i recover from that you know exactly
0: exactly yeah. which uh, which the variability of those tokens is a potential problem in the game which we'll get to yeah let's talk sure. about let's talk about the auction though because I was uh, I've been yes. talking kind of heavy auction. Um, if you want to play a game in which you learn everything you ever need to know about auctions, play modern art. It is a yes. Reiner Knizia game and it is amazing it is wonderful. it's from 1995 it's from uh, ages ago. and still plays amazing every single time you play it. One of the keys to the game is that you're auctioning off pieces of art, and uh, there are four different auction mechanisms in the game. That's the whole game. It's just it's just an auction game, Um, and one of the methods is is the open bidding where people are just bidding you know uh, just the normal way. I bid one. No, I'll bid two on that. Yeah, I'll bid three. It's not going around in a circle or anything like that. Anybody wants to up the bid can up the bid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second way is in the fist, which is that blind bidding we just talked about, where people put the amount of money they want to bid in their fist and reveal it and then and then whoever wins that wins that third one is once around and once around is the mechanism that uh, that new amsterdam employs the way this works is whoever is the start player whoever is the first person in turn order or the if the, that person's out then the next highest person in turn order is going to put something up for bids and they are going to say a number That is their one and only bid. It is never going to come back around to you, and you're never going to get another chance. The next person then can overtake that bid by bidding more. But if there's somebody behind them, guess what? They could be overtaken as well. So you really have to, it's a really interesting bidding mechanism whereby you're not just going to low bid and hope you get something cheap. If you want something, you got to figure out how much how many resources and money does that person have? How many resources and money does that person have? How much do they need it? How much money do I need to have in reserve after I've won it because I'm going to need, you know, taking these actions, I'm going to need some of these resources to do things with these actions. Mm-hmm. It's a really really meaty and uh, and and clever uh, mechanism that we don't see often. Once around is not a very common auction mechanism. And it really works well here. The way it works here is that there are two rows of three action discs and three rows of two action discs. And the idea is that the start player will choose one of the rows and they will put their, their start player token on that row and you are bidding for the start player token. So the ability to go first and all of the two or three um, action discs in that row, and those discs are put out randomly. So sometimes, in mean, last game, we had one row that had three trade actions: trade action, trade action, trade action. <laughs> that was really valuable to Paul. That was a huge turn for Paul because he was, you know, he had his economy and his uh, his situation geared for the trade game. And it was uh, it was a huge thing for him. It wasn't that interesting to uh, to uh, Elder or I, which was also great for him because he didn't have to bid a lot for it. He didn't have to. to, to, He was able to to get it for nothing, I believe. Yeah. But but when you have those two city actions for a person like me, I was in a situation where I'm already scoring 10 points or so uh, per city action. And uh, if I win two of those, that's 20 points. Final score in the game was 80 points. The game is six rounds long. That's huge. (laughs) That is massive. Uh, So it's a cool mechanism. It's interesting in the game. The problem is, or one of the problems is, is that each turn those discs come out in a random order, and the order of those discs can really... How do we put this best? Your your plans can be dashed by the random outlay of those discs to some degree, right? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, absolutely. That's and, it. And you
1: and it's only six rounds in a game, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that's, you know, your your what you can do in a game is definitely supplemented by the bonus actions that you can take each each round, um, but you know, nothing is more important than those, than those main actions, essentially. Um, and so the randomness of them and where you are, where you sit in turn order and where your resources are is, you know, that's really the, the, the puzzle and the challenge of the game,
0: right? It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and, you know, to mitigate that, knowing that the order of these discs can come out anyway and you can't really plan on it. yeah uh, the person that wins the game more often is going to be the person that is relatively immune to the way things come out right mm-hmm. the, the person that the person that is positioned in such a way that you know I don't I'm not hoping for this one outcome to, to come up. I'm ready to play whatever the outcome is that person likely is the person that's going to win at the end of the sixth round yeah. All right, yeah. so, Elder, pitch me. Tell me why this is a great. Ooh, the the last thing we're going to talk about is the uh, is the cultural aspect of the game, uh, imperialism, Native Americans, representation, and all that sort of stuff. Let's save that for the very very end. Sure, uh, but but tell me as a game, why do you love it? What's the what what uh, what makes this sing to your heart?
1: Well, again, the the. And we you, you touched on it before um, in describing the bidding phase. So the other thing um, that I want to underline is during the auction phase, and and during the auction phase uh, phase only um, all of the resources you have, not just the money can be bid. So everything is one for one. So you're not just, you don't have just the opportunity to bid your money. You're not limited to that. If you have wood, if you have corn, if you have goods, furs, everything can be one-to-one. You probably don't want to, um, uh, bid your furs because there'll be way more valuable and arguably the other resources too but it is good to have that option especially if you have a surplus of one of the other things right it gives you gives you more um you know auction auction power bidding power um and that is something that i have not seen in another game and and another reason uh, I feel like this is a very unique game overall. There's definitely aspects that we've seen in other games, but I think the combination and those two mechanisms of being able to, you know um, uh, interchange any of your resources for the the um, the ability to auction and also the mechanism of um, you know again, I think that he really did take effort in at least addressing um, the issue of um, the dynamics of the the Native Americans and the building up of the city and the, and the colonization that was happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, I think this is where we're we're getting to the the conversation of like whether that was appropriate, maybe whether it's really effective. I know one thing that came up. Um, you know, we we re- reviewed the cost several weeks ago. Yeah. And we were talking about in that game, you kind of really feel the pain of what the game designers are, are expressing through the game design, um, the impact of, of um, you know, being a business person and putting, putting profits before the health of people to the point of actual death. Um, and in this game, it's, it, it it's kind of feels like it's addressed, it's a touched on. It's is in, an interesting mechanic, but in terms of gameplay, you don't necessarily really feel the impact of it, um, and and that could could be seen as problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so for me, the advantages to this game are that it plays to five players, and I believe this game plays best at the higher player counts. Definitely. I agree. I, I think that, yeah, I think that lower player counts, the, the imbalances in the design can sometimes overtake the game. Yeah. With more players, there's more competition for that city, and that kind of keeps the city strategy in check and, and balances the game by itself. Um, yeah. I feel like it's a short game. It is not. Yeah. It is not incredibly long. This is a. This is a breezy two hours. Uh, maybe if you get r- really good at it and you play with somebody other than Elder, hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I love. I love the way Elder will go. Here's what will happen. You'll bid. You'll bid like I bid seven for this row, and I'll just like. So you bid seven. Hmm. Interesting. Seven is seven. What you bid? I thought I heard seven. Is that what you said? Seven? Did
1: Did mm-hmm. you say seven?
0: Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. That's that is that is Elder's way of of uh, of processing, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do. It is adorable. I love it. I love it. I I, I was laughing. I I covered my microphone so I could laugh out loud oh, when <laughs> when you know after the fourth time you did that. I was just like, that's fantastic. That is that is awesome. Uh, no, but it is it is a relatively quick game. Um, it, the auction mechanism, as we said, is not something we see much anymore. And in a Euro, it's a, it's a, it's a welcome, welcome addition. It makes the game very, very interesting. It, it is a, uh, it, auction mechanisms are cutthroat. Auction, auction mechanisms are, you know, when I bid something in once around, especially, I'm not going to be able to come in and revise my bid. So when you outbid me, you have stabbed me in the chest. You have you have hurt me deeply and uh you know it's it's a it's cool it's really really cool um, well that but that also brings up
1: the strategy though of if you know if you are early and putting up something for bid right do you and i actually did this in in the game i don't know how effective it was but do you um purposely put something up for bid that you don't want Especially if you think somebody else wants it, so that that clears the path and makes it, uh, you know, a situation where you can get what you really want yes. Um, yes. for cheaper.
0: Yes, uh, In 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 auction games, invariably, people that are good at auction games are uh, very often not put, not putting up for bids what they want to win. They're putting up for bids what they think is going to drain money out of the economy and right. to drain money out of the other players. Uh, to yeah. to improve their position of getting what they want cheap. So yes, yeah. and that's that's uh, that is in play in this game. That is something that definitely can happen. Um right. I thought the the three different aspects of the game were were uh, were, were good. Um, at the end of the day, though, for me, I didn't love the game. I like the game. I respect yeah. the game. I'll play it any time, but it didn't uh, it didn't really uh, hit my hit my tuning fork um, all that all that strongly. That said, hmm. I, I will play a, a euro with an with an auction mechanism that's interesting in any day of the week. So if that sounds like it's something interesting to you, you should check that out, but before we get to that, let's talk about this. Um this is uh this is this is a game that was uh made in in the BW era, the before woke. Uh mm-hmm. so that's not to say that in 2012 we were talking about this. This was a conversation in 2012. We were, you know, well before that, we were talking about, you know, should these themes be themes we we game about? But uh, I have to say there is something very unsettling about these uh, Native American longhouses at the top of the board. And over the course of the game, what you are doing is you're pushing them off the board and mm-hmm. you're eliminating them. Now, the game doesn't phrase it that way, but that is the the action that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's almost shocking because <laughs> yeah. well because if you didn't have that right if you didn't have the longhouses if you just had sure. empty land up there and you're yep. grabbing land cards right 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 what you're really doing is everything else about New Amsterdam is that what you've done is you've erased the native americans from the game yeah and yet the game is entirely about that it's about settling a land that already has been settled thank you very much right it is right it is about uh conquering a land that uh, that already has people on it um yeah. and so many games that we play uh don't even represent that right um so is it better that they're representing that in a way, is it worse that they're? I mean, I don't think it's worse that they're that they're representing it. What I do find worse is that there's that that there's no mention of it in the in the rule book or anywhere, and in no way, shape, or form is this ever is it ever addressed? Is it ever addressed yeah. as you know? Hey, pay attention to this. This is uh, this is the cost. The cost, right? The right. Now that that game is in, in our in our minds. Uh, but even before that, you know, we we've had this conversation about a, a lot of games, you know, alma mater and and so on and so forth. We, representation is is key. Uh, is this the right kind of representation to simply have non-player Indian figures on a map that are being eliminated over the course of the game? I almost want like, like if you if there was a backside to the board, and after the game you're instructed to shake the hand of the person that won, and then violently flip the board over, and on it it's describing how many how many how many souls your uh, your victory cost to people, hmm. right? I don't know. I guess yeah. that's I, maybe that's maybe that's just me, but um, it it it's one of these weird things that uh, my question is: Would we have even brought this up? if it wasn't in the game, right? If the Indians weren't in the game and were playing new Amsterdam, would it even be something that crosses our minds? What do you think?
1: I don't think so. <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I don't think again, if it was, if that mechanism wasn't there, it's, it's not something that, you know, again, if it was, if it was not those houses and it was just plots of land and it was completely ignored, like in some games, um, then, um, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a discussion about it. So uh, for me, um, again, I feel, I feel like I, I'm sorry if a, if, if, if any person, particularly a person of Native American descent plays the game and is, is offended by it, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm, I apologize for that, for, for that person being offended. Sure. um, and for, for me personally, it's it's something that that makes the game special because of, of its of its attempt to address it in some way. I think it, it yeah. could be more so like, again, a page in the in the um, or even a paragraph um, in the in the rule book um, that kind of, um, you know, highlights it more, I think would would be useful as a as a teaching tool um, uh but for me, it's it's the it's worthwhile because of the impact that it has on me when I'm playing the game. I am conscious of it, yeah, and I and I feel it to some some degree every game, yeah. And that we're having the conversation about it, um, you know, after playing the game, yeah. I think is worthwhile to have it there.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not inclined to give to To either condemn it or give it credit uh, I, yeah. I I think it's kind of in, in in a space in between. It shows to me uh, in in stark relief that uh, that whitewashing these games to me is probably the biggest sin of all, right yeah. that, that whitewashing yep. it, by not including that at all plenty of people can just play and all of a sudden, it, you know, I mean, that's essentially what the, the conquistadors did, right? They, they didn't view the people they were conquering as people. They didn't view right. them as equals in, in any way, shape or form. They were a resource to manage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And, and that is, uh, it, that's horrific. And that, that is the, that there's the worst aspects of the, uh, of the human condition. Um, by putting them in this game, but then not uh, by simply putting them in the game, though doesn't uh, doesn't absolve you. It doesn't. You're still playing the same game, and it's yeah. not addressing it right. Uh, and I think now, uh, and hopefully now, and and going forward, I think that the bar has been raised, and I think we're going to need to. Uh, uh, to address that, I think that this is a, a game that could potentially have uh, led to a, a, a good conversation about, uh, um, you know, history is written by the winners. Let's let's talk about the, the ones who lost and what we lost uh, in in the in the building of this great society and so on and so forth. So, yeah. uh, and great society in in uh, sarcastic quotes, as it were. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that is uh, that is New Amsterdam. It is a very interesting game. I want to thank you for for taking it to, to me and and thank you, Elder, for this tabletop simulator uh, um, mod for it. It's you really did a great job, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. and 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 also
1: as an addition, so um, I did actually I got my my twitch uh, stream up. And um, the games that we played um, for this segment to prepare are on my Twitch channel. So if you just want to do a search, I'm at Hawk72700. It's H-A-W-K-72700. And the games are there.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Elder, what are we going to be talking about in our member segments? Tell me about it. Yes. Yeah, so, so to
1: that point... Um, You know, again, I being in the the games industry and games education and and media, um, I have been aware of Twitch as a platform um, and been very interested in it. Uh, for some time now and have often toyed with the idea of having a, a Twitch stream for various things um, and just have never really been that motivated to kind of move on it. I've done some research here and there. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was on, um, uh, you know, on the, the, the there's a tabletop simulator group, um, uh, discord group. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, you know, look for pick, pick up games. I think it's uh, TTS Club on oh, Discord. And um, I noticed this, this one young woman who was uh, actually scheduling games, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it looked like she had a pretty full schedule. And I was like, hmm, it that, that seems interesting. And I, you know, clicked on her profile. And then I noticed that she had a, a Twitch stream tag. And I was like, OK, so then I went to her Twitch stream and then I, I, you know, light bulb went off and I saw that she was streaming her tabletop simulator sessions that she was scheduling um, on her Twitch feed and started watching some of the games there. You know, again, a lot of lighter style games, not really the, the games that I like to play. Um, and then when I went to Twitch, I noticed that there there are table, people streaming tabletop simulator, but not like typically the games we play—the meteor euro games that I've mostly been playing, the News and you know bonfire and and stuff like that, right? Right. Um, so I saw first, oh, there's an opportunity here. I'm sure people would would want to would want to see these type of games. But what I what I instantly thought was this idea of um, other types of games that lead to more. Story, right? And I'm always thinking about kind of um, entertainment and media and storytelling and how you can use new digital tools to to create these types of forms. And the the idea that that popped into my head immediately was this idea of paying. Well, first I was thinking about playing like a um, uh, a game with like multiple episodes a um help me with this time episodic (laughs) (laughs) an an episodic game or like a campaign game sure 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 right um and like like, legacy
0: you could even say a legacy yeah
1: a legacy game right yeah um and that a story unfolds uh, typically in these games and, oh, wouldn't that be interesting to see an episodic form where a group of people got together and, and played this game over a certain amount of time and, and you got to watch as a spectator or a viewer how this story kind of unfolds, right? Yes. Um, the idea of adding LARPing to it, you know, Um I thought specifically of uh, you mentioned um, Cthulhu earlier and what a cool genre that is in gaming and, you know, the creatures and just the whole idea of um, of Cthulhu, uh, you know, as an immersive gaming element. You know, we uh, so we had really fun um, playing at uh, one of our trips to um, to Gen Con several years ago. (laughs) <laughs> um, me, you, and, and Trey played this very interesting Cthulhu LARP, where it was like a mashup of the Titanic and Cthulhu.
0: Wasn't that fantastic? That was fantastic, oh and God. how how immersive that was, right? Uh, they, they, by the way, they are uh, they are listeners. That was uh, the MU Skulls uh, put that on. Uh, that's for the Miskatonic University uh, Skulls put that on. That was their very first larp they ever did they had played in our larps for a few years and said they wanted to design one on their own and they crushed it just so you know the titanic from the time that uh, people were alerted to the fact that it struck the iceberg and the time that it sunk was about three hours and 20 something minutes whatever whatever that time frame is the game played in real time so yeah. the the sinking of the titanic Happened in real time, and there was a projector that was showing the ship. That it was showing a uh, digital representation of the ship slowly sinking as the game went on. Crazy, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And again, wouldn't
1: that be interesting? Oh. You know, as as a piece of content for people to watch to see that whole thing unfold, right? Yes. So, so my idea was let's do pandemic. I know there's a pandemic Cthulhu, right? Yes. Um, and um, what if I got a group of like uh, black comedians, like improv comedians. Oh, my God. To, to play the roles of these different characters, right? Um, and try not to go insane playing Pandemic Cthulhu and, you know, defeat the Elder Gods. And like, wouldn't it be like a cool... You know episode or series to watch you know and like it's it's, like you're doing
0: lovecraft country you're doing a a sort of a home-baked lovecraft country that's amazing exactly exactly and and i love the idea of
1: um you know like in tabletop simulator there's this there's this interesting aspect that i've noticed where um you can you know you have camera control right so you can you can Move the camera down and get these really, really tight shots Mm -hmm. of the pieces like right there on the board. So you could start creating like if you, you know, again, miniatures versus standees. Right. But if you can imagine having these little standees on a spot on the board and getting down there and having the characters be voiced and and almost kind of setting up shots, you know, um, just an interesting new format I think of storytelling and media that we haven't really seen that I think could be really interesting and there's like you know just literally this is just one concept out of literally thousands of things that you could do um, and again I know you're a, a big fan of LARPing and of, of screenwriting and and kind of incorporating those two talents the amazing you know work that you did on on the, the Game of Thrones LARPs at Gen Con mm-hmm. you know like just, just taking some of that um, that storytelling genius and infusing that into, you know, some type of game that would be streamed, I think, could be really, really interesting.
0: Um, you're going to have to say that last part again because everyone was laughing after you said the word genius. Uh, <laughs> um, so, no. Uh, <laughs> l- listen, I think it's – I. I, I Ten years ago, if you pitched to me what, what Twitch was going to be, I would have laughed. I would have been like, hey, right. people, are, people are going to tune in and watch other people play video games. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And it's huge. It's massive. Uh, but yeah, it hasn't moved, right? We, it, it, we haven't explored the space of, of Twitch and what we can do in the shared gaming experience. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. It's like, can we inject story into it? Because there, are, we could Twitch stream games that have more story elements to it. And what if you put people in there that are playing the game, not primarily to meta play the game, which is – by that I just mean most people when they play a game aren't speaking in the accent of the character, right? mm mm-hmm. I'm the a hole that's doing that. I'm the I'm the jerk that is. I'm the jerk that's doing that until somebody you know throws a empty can at me, and then I have to stop. Uh, but yeah, but doing that and getting really really deep into that could be a really really interesting. You know, it, it's 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 a radio play that has you know that has something to watch while you're doing it as well. Uh, you know, and games give story structure right they yeah. they they lay out what what's happening and what happens next right it's it's not pure improv because it's improv with a few more rules added on, which is really really interesting um you know jesse you know when Jesse was talking um last round about his uh attempts to create with Phone cameras and all that sort of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. to to play uh, to play some of these games uh, that you normally couldn't play, Um, you know, trying to do Avalon that way, Uh, it did get me thinking that. Avalon we talk all the time about uh, well our meta, you know, like we're like we're so great We probably are not but we do have a very well thought-out rationale for the way That particular game is played and and many people have commented They said well, we would love to find out how it is that you play and Mm -hmm. see if it is something magical and different Or if it's just basically the same thing as everybody else or if it's even stupider and more annoying Um, (laughs) but it, it it occurred to me that in a Twitch scenario, uh, if the viewers and not the players, but if the viewers could see your whole card, right? Yep. Like in poker, yep. if, if they could see who you are, and you know, just like um, just like Zoom, when you're talking, the camera goes on uh, on you, right? And, and then it goes to the next player to see us. I think I think people would be intrigued to watch our group play uh play avalon where they can see who you are so they know oh he's pretending like he's merlin and he's not merlin oh he's such oh i you know people would be like oh i never would have fallen for that and and yet you probably would have and, and so on and so forth i i think that that is great um Pandemic, it's interesting that you brought up Pandemic because when you told me that this was going to be the segment, I was thinking about Pandemic. Because Pandemic Legacy, uh, I haven't played the second edition yet, but Pandemic Legacy first edition was so mind-blowing and so immersive mm. and and so amazing. Such an incredible game and did have segments, right? You could do episodes of, of, of that game, which was which was incredible. The one thing about it, though, is that it still suffers from the co-op problem of... Yeah let's just talk about it and figure out exactly what we need to do. And then we do it, you know, kind of the alpha player problem where, okay, you do this and then I'll do this. And then you do the next thing after that. Right. Right. Um, and so I was thinking, well, how do you, like, if you're dramatizing that, that's not the most interesting way to play that game, right? The most Mm -hmm. interesting way to play that game, uh, would be that, when one person's turn is going, nobody else can talk really to some degree or something like that or a limited amount of communication. That's going to make the game Mm -hmm. harder. Uh, But then again, you know, so then I start thinking about games like Hanabi. Hanabi is a game in which Communication difficulty is built into the game. A lot of party games, by the way, have that as well. Uh, party games will be like, well, okay, it's taboo. You, you want to get this person to say this word. The only thing is, is, here are the eight words you cannot say. Right? Right. The Communication barriers. That's what the games are creating. Mm-hmm. Um, what Hanabi does is it has a chit economy where you have uh, – I have four tokens – and if I spend one of these tokens, I can tell you something. But then I've spent that; I can't get that back again. I have a very limited ability to share things and to say things. If there was, if if we added that into pandemic legacy or into a, into a pandemic game, where in order to communicate, we're spending our our you know, I, I have only ten things I can communicate. And fitting it into the pandemic legacy where people are traveling all around the world, you know you get on the radio and you're you know this is it, this is my communication for the day. I'm telling you, hey, you do this um first of all, I think that might make the game even better uh mm-hmm. if you can balance it because the game's already tough, and it kind of relies on communication the way it's balanced currently, um, but being able to do it that way could make for something very interesting and very dramatic It's, it's kind of interesting, ah
1: yeah. Yeah. And and also it makes me think about, again, wow. and incorporating this, this LARPing element where what if the, you know, the decisions or how you, how you handle the choices that you make are very based on you playing your character or you LARPing your character effectively. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not a big dudes on a map guy, right? I, I just, yeah. I just confessed how uh, miniatures send me in the wrong direction. They, they, mm-hmm. they reduce my enthusiasm. That said, I if if it if the, if it was if we were larping it, yeah. I, I could get way into dudes on a map, right? Nem, a game like Nemesis, right, where you're yep. where you know you're hunting the aliens on your derelict sh- spaceship or something along those lines. Um, yeah, I'm all in. Uh, I, I yep. could I could totally get into that. I think my problem with those games, really, when it comes right down to it, my problem with those types of games is that I want them to be role-playing experiences and they're not role-playing enough. So right. by creating that, by making that, yeah, essentially what we're talking about is is somewhat of a new form, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, the, the other point is this idea of um, basically tabletop simulator and, and Twitch making uh, analog board games into video games or digital games to a certain degree right yes because you're i just i feel like it's it's way more effective and essentially easier right yeah to use tabletop simulators uh cam camera and and possibly even physics to um to showcase what you're what you're doing on the board oh yeah um it's just visually uh, way more appealing than if you tried to do this in real life with you know, say your your uh, the camera on your phone and and trying to film stuff that's on a tabletop
0: exactly and and yeah. you were you were mentioning that you could also do you were talking about dice games with regard to that. That was really interesting to me. Can you go into that yeah. for a second?
1: Sure, sure. like again, I think um uh, other I'm just always thinking about, um, what would be interesting? And you mentioned poker earlier, yes. right? So, what yes. what would be interesting type of games to watch, right? As, as spectator games, and <clears throat> it's so much about the format too. Like you like you mentioned before, you know, poker was pretty boring to watch until you could see the whole cards. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, but in in terms of dice, um, again, just think about how many times you've played dice games and uh, you know, somebody makes a roll, and everybody around the table screams and just goes crazy, right? Because oh man, that's they rolled all sixes, or they rolled that one just by one pip. They rolled that number that they needed to to win that particular battle, and it changes the course of the whole game. Yeah. You know, those are really interesting. I think moments um, that, again, it, essentially, the whole the Twitch platform is about having you know, interesting moments to watch and gameplay that people are playing. And this I just feel like it opens it up.
0: Oh yeah. No, um,
1: when you to a when whole you go another into, aspect of that.
0: Yeah. When you go into a casino and you go into the poker room, it is yep. a chapel. It is yep. dead silent. Yep. When when you go to the craps table, you're in the club. <laughs> you yep. know, it is it is mayhem. People are screaming. I could I could stand at a craps table and not even bet and just have just get tremendous entertainment for a long time. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, what games would you want to like? Like, let's name three games that we haven't already mentioned that might be really fun to explore in this in this new medium that you're that that you're creating. Um, well, I, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to well, say Eclipse is the first thing that I might want to that I might want to play because it's got a lot of dice. It's got yep. that dice aspect and all that sort of stuff, and yet you're playing six different alien species, and it is dudes on a map, and it is trying to figure out your best strategy. Um, is it two euro for this method? Maybe it is, but that's kind of what I want to explore. I'd want to see if, if we could do that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, one example I thought of was um, King of Tokyo, is a really fun dice rolling game. And yeah. it has these big standees that, again, you could, you know, imagine playing this game with people who are actually LARPing the monsters and you're trash talking, <laughs> oh, you you can't knock me off, uh, you know, off the hill. Um, you know, we're all going to attack you. We're all going to get you. I got all this energy, you know, just any, any game, I think, that invites uh, table talk um, could be really interesting in this format. That's a good point. That's a
0: really no. good point. I wonder, yeah. Uh, I, I, but we don't. So somebody, so a non-player, a person that's not playing the game, would play the monster, or how would that work?
1: No, I would have the I would have the players play. But again, I think you know, uh, just like uh, in poker, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of the when when poker was at its height, televised, uh, you know the, you know, uh, I think WPT maybe less so um but definitely the you know world series all of, all of these poker shows and definitely the specialized ones where they selected or invited the players mm-hmm. yeah um the the entertainment value in the show was from watching these particular players so yeah. Yeah. i just think it would be interesting to get um uh, uh gamers and and maybe it would be more um uh, personalities or or like this idea of having these improv comedians who would learn the game and just be basically commenting or or improvising or LARPing as they're playing, I think would be the the most interesting kind of form of this.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. Uh Jaws, 2019's Jaws would be yep. a really fun game. <laughs> just have, all right, we're just gonna audition people. Who who's got the best Roy Scheider impression? Uh okay, who, who who's gonna be Robert Shaw? And just play that out because the game plays wonderfully. And in terms of that whole card thing, being able Mm -hmm. to see the shark player's hand and to see what the shark player is is doing uh, could be really, really fun. I think that's a, a great option. Um, yeah and I,
1: I remember that game night one of our last uh, in person game nights where one of the tables was playing jaws and the screams that were coming from the table you know as as these the rounds were happening you know you just you you know that that's that's something that that could be really entertaining and fun to watch you
0: know? yeah and listen it's not a game for everybody but yeah. Uh, I think the game self-selects in the sense that I have never seen that game not go over amazingly well. Everybody I've ever seen play that game had a great time playing it. I think, mm-hmm. but but, as I said, I think it's because people that just that game wouldn't be their thing just choose not to play that in the first place. So,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, it, for that
1: matter, I think any of the Prospero Hall games could be interesting in the 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 idea that, um, these very popular movies, yes. I think um, people are interested in if they're really a fan of that movie, taking part in it. So, case in point, one of my favorite films, The Shining. So, I, wow. I believe it's Prospero Hall. It is, that, yes. That a, yes. A, boor, a board game version of The Shining. And, you know, again, that could be something that would be really fun, I think, to, to LARP, you know, to be put in that setting with different personalities and, you know, trying to win the game essentially.
0: I love it. Uh, for yeah. me, I'm going to go a different way. What about Pitch Car? What about a dexterity game? Oh, sure. Especially Pitch Car because you're building these big elaborate, elaborate tracks with jumps and uh, 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 tight turns and stuff like that. I think you get the right group of people in there. You're not even really LARPing because you're just you're, you're your own driver trying to, you know, trying to get across the finish line. I think could be a, a really, really fun uh, situation
1: yeah and and tabletop simulator i mean there you go i mean just any literally any dexterity game right because tabletop simulator has a very like awesome physics engine yeah and I, i mean i've had fun just playing around uh just flicking things around or they have um they have uh some miniature golf mods in there with with different tracks and stuff and i think that stuff could be like Incredibly engaging and fun to watch. Um, another one of my uh, favorite classic games from youth was a game called um, Crossbows and Catapults.
0: Oh, I remember cross, Crossbows and Catapults. Oh, yeah. you you were the you were the jerk in the neighborhood that had crossbows and catapults. We talked about oh. this. You did. Oh, you, yeah. you your your parent, your parents got you the good the good stuff. They, they yeah, exactly. A... That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I never had crossbows and catapults, but I made sure that I always had a friend that had crossbows and catapults. Oh yeah. Ah, yeah. So good, so good, Elder. This was a fantastic segment, dude. I was—I I, wasn't even on my radar, but I, I think you're right. I think um, the uh, what's the—I'll put it this way. I put it in a way that I, I, I talk to my writing students about this. I say that mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, we are in a gold rush. The, yes. The uh, the gatekeepers are dead. Mm-hmm. They are gone. If you want to write a book and you want to publish it, you can do it. You don't need a publishing house, you don't need an agent. You can literally do it and you can actually do it successfully. You got to be smart about it. You got to learn how to do it, but it is it is doable. If you want to, you know, if you want to have a TV show, Get a YouTube channel. I mean, how many YouTube channels have viewerships that are, are rivaling a, a similar content that you are seeing on, on cables, uh, cable channels, and so and mm-hmm. so on and so forth? It's uh, it's amazing. So many of these realms, and I think Tabletop Simulator is starting to do that for our hobby. I, I think it, you know, and, and combined with Twitch, uh, we're we're creating we're not only creating new opportunities in existing media, but we're creating new media. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, shall we get to one game sommelier before we depart? Absolutely. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with, Mama, my Madame, my my Abou. You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far with my 50th player of a Grigola. A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. Okay. This one comes from Jesse Jones. Jesse Jones starts it off with, this one's for Tom. (laughs) There once was a designer named Martin who made a game that came in a carton. Age of steam it was called and now I'm enthralled. Now tell me and I shall hearken. I'm considering adding Age of Steam Deluxe to the pledge manager for Mercado de Lisboa. It's in the pledge manager there. Uh, After re-listening to your review with Ben and Dimitri, he's got a two-part question regarding Age of Steam. Uh, One is, do you have any experience with the smaller maps that come with the deluxe version, which is St. Lucia and Barbados? How are they at two-player? And what are your favorite two- and three-player maps for Age of Steam? It's actually a three-part question because that's... That's part one. And then part two, could you quickly talk about some of your very favorite maps? Uh, the answer is no. I could talk at length about them, but I probably can't quickly talk about them. <laughs> but, we'll, <laughs> but we'll give it a try. Um, Elder, uh, experiences with, uh, with Age of Steam. Have you played the deluxe edition? I have not played Age of Steam at all. <laughs> I, what?
1: I've never played it. What? What? Maybe once a long time ago at a con, but I, yeah, I, I have not played it.
0: Bad Elder. Bad Elder. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This I is. I got to get some. Yeah. If you could see my face, I am stunned. How is it possible? Oh, my God, Elder. I know. Oh, my God. Yes. There, there's uh, there's no goods. Okay. Not everything <laughs> has to have goods. All right. Actually, there are goods. They're the, the little cubes. There's five colors of them. There's five goods. Open your heart. Open your heart, Elder. Oh, my God. (laughs) Holy cow. All right. I guess I'm going to have to take this one solo then. So uh, answers are I have not played either St. Lucia or Barbados. I've played um, most of the multiplayer maps. I've not played any of the two-player maps in the deluxe... Edition, But I can tell you very much that uh, three-player is one of the areas that Age of Steam shines. Age of Steam is a great game because it shines at every single player count. You can find—there's even solo maps that you can uh, print and play. Uh, There's a whole geek list, I believe, dedicated solo maps on the geek for Age of Steam. Um, But my favorite uh, three-player maps are Ireland— um amazing tight hard rough just like the country it is um scandinavia is a very interesting map to play with uh, with three players and montreal metro is a very different map it plays very differently than most of the other ones um fantastic and, and listen almost all of these when you're talking about a new map what you're actually talking about is a new rule set and rule set is a uh, It's too broad a term because almost always it's one or two rules, just one or two tweaks to the rule set that then changes the entire game. Um, And all those, Ireland, Scandinavia, Montreal Metro, play amazing with three players. My theory on maps, everybody in Age of Steam, it's a taste issue to some degree um, because... You could play any map with any number of players, essentially, sort of, kind of. Um, but it's got sweet spots. For me, I like a map that is slightly too tight. I want a map that is punishing and hard, and you're 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 fighting to survive. The worst thing for me is an Age of Steam map where there's too much room, because then I'm not competing, right? Then I'm not fighting over this city and this cube and and i'm not fighting with these three players right when you have too much room and you're too spread out uh you've taken the you've taken the lid off of the pot and what you have inside is never going to boil properly uh so for me i like slightly too tight to Perfect. Anywhere in that realm is is what I like. And Ireland, Scandinavia, and Montreal Metro are great at that. Uh, favorite maps of all time, uh, really. I've got uh, two. I'm gonna. I'll add a third in. Um, Korea. I think the Korean map is the. Uh, I, I, I think it's the Mona Lisa of Age of Steam maps. Um, in Age of Steam, I'll say it for. I think I've already said this before, but I'll say it one more time. In Age of Steam you have uh, cities that have colors and you have cubes that have similar colors. And the idea is you build railways between these cities so you can take a a red cube and deliver it to a red city. You can take a black cube and deliver it to a black city and so on and so forth. In Korea, all of the cities are gray. Cities do not have a color. Cities are all of the colors of the cubes that are on them. So, when I want to deliver a cube early in the game, no problem. If I have a blue cube, I could deliver it to any city that already has a blue cube on it. No problem. But as the game continues, and as those cubes get smaller and smaller, all of a sudden, the game becomes so dynamic because these cities are changing before our eyes. They're this, this, this used to be a yellow city. Somebody delivered that yellow cube. It's no longer a yellow city. My plans are dashed. And the competition for turn order, for, for first move, for things like that, becomes so dire in this game. Because you want to be able to make your uh, make your choices, make your moves, make your decisions before the map utterly changes before your eyes. And creating situations for yourself where you have control of a situation is super hard, but also tremendously worthwhile. I I think that's an absolutely amazing game. Northern California is another map that is really cool. It's got several different features, too many to kind of go into right now, but it adds a bunch of different tweaks to the game that make it really, really interesting to play and and really kind of cool. And then the last one, I'm going to say... The map, in and of itself, isn't the best. It's Western United States. The Western United States map uh, is kind of interesting. It's interesting because you can actually play this game with seven players. What you mm. would do is you would take pennies and you would use pennies for the seventh player because that's all the player tokens are are these, you know, little little discs that you're putting down. And it's a big enough and roomy enough map that we have found seven players works quite well. Generally, there are all these cities on the you know in the east. And invariably, three or four players will build there. And then two or three players will build out in the west. You're not allowed to build any of the cities that are near the center of the map. And then it's races to connect east to west. Uh, Very, very interesting, interesting game. Um, I don't know if any of these maps have uh deluxe edition graphics yet i think they're still from the classic age of steam that may be coming out that may not but uh, but you can still play uh on those maps with your with your deluxe age of steam i i can't i can't believe that i that i've spent an hour and a half talking to a man that's never played age of steam i'm (laughs) I'm reevaluating my friend group and all of my life choices you should get age of steam it is one of the best games ever shame professor shame <laughs> what i've played martin wallace games with you sure right and we've played a lot of martin wallace games how do you not play the granddaddy the the master oh my god uh, yeah
1: i feel like I'm, i must have played it at some point but it's it's not memorable i know it's it's big with our with our group and i you know it's on my list of games played. Well, play but
0: yeah you're, you're not a you're not a huge train gamer though. I'm not. Yeah, i that's it's true. Not, it's not really my thing. So fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm sorry if I shamed you. I shouldn't have shamed you. Uh, That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash GameBrainPod. We have a Facebook group. We have a Discord channel. Please get in those board game sommelier questions. We are at the bottom of the barrel. And you've been listening to GameBrain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. Or on Twitter at GameBrainPod. Thank you, Elder. You were amazing, and thank you for listening. And go play some games with friends online or virtually. Make some friends with games.